Welcome to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to wakeparkchurch.org. Our reading today is Psalm 119, 97 through 105. It's on page 421 of your Pew Bible. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, for I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, I tell you what. One thing is very clear about Psalm 119, not just the passages that we read there, but the whole chapter. In fact, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and the whole thing is about the law. So I guess what we can gain from that is is that David was a Bible nerd. Right? Like, he loved the law. One of the things about that chapter is, and you can't see that in the, uh, in the English, but it's actually an acrostic, a very long acrostic. And so there are sections that correlate with all of the uh, Hebrew alphabet. And so each one of those sections, all of the lines start with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet, A, B, C, you know, like that. Uh, and so it's an entire poem to the law. Now, I've actually, how many of you have known people like David who you would say, man, that person is a Bible nerd? Yeah, I've, I've known a few of those too. In fact, when I was in Cedar Rapids, there was a, a kid, I would guess at the time he was 10 to 12 years old. He ended up by hand into a notebook copying the entire New Testament because he loved the Bible so much, and also because he was a nerd. But I loved it. When I heard that he was doing that, I thought, that is absolutely amazing that we have a 10- or 12-year-old kid that loves the Bible that much that he takes the time to copy it word for word, just with a pencil and a notebook, uh, copying it down. Well, that's very much what what David was like. But it actually gets a little stranger than that, because it might be one thing to say, well, Jesus, or that, that David loved the Bible, he loved Scripture, but actually it says, oh, how I love your, and what's that word there? Law. I love your law. And that seems kind of strange in and of itself, doesn't it? Who loves the law? You know, I've, I've never once in my life written a note to my council member and said, you know that 20 mile per hour speed limit on 33rd Avenue, I love it. So thank you so much 
for enforcing that law on 33rd Avenue. You know, I could sit outside looking at that sign all day long. You know, I, you know pe- people just don't do stuff like that, right? In fact, I was just part of a conversation the other day after our board meeting on Tuesday night where we were talking about traffic cameras. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. I know we don't have them here because... They did for a time, right? And then they were declared like unconstitutional or something, right? Which I'm glad for that, you know? <laughs> when we, <laughs> Mark, you like the cameras, do you? You love them? All right, so uh, there, there might have been some relatives of yours that don't share your love for uh, traffic cameras. And <laughs> so, so, we were having, so we were having a conversation about them, and I remember that, that the city that we lived in before we came here, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, put them in just like a year or so before we moved. In fact, that's why we moved, because I couldn't afford to live there anymore because of those traffic cameras. No, actually, I, I, didn't, I didn't love them, you know. They, we thought they were, you know, we, we, weren't, we weren't saying, oh, how I love your traffic cameras. We were saying they are unconstitutional, they're unethical, they're unconscionable, they're unreasonable. You know, all of the unwords that we could think of, you know. But we weren't saying, I love your law. Now, a lot of people would say, well, the reason we don't like laws is because we're Americans. And I don't think that's it at all. We, the reason we don't like laws is because we're human, right? We don't like people to put limits on us. In fact, that was the original sin of Adam and Eve. God said, I've got some limits for you. And they said, no, we would rather go out on our own, and, and you know, that's restricting our freedom, and so we want, to, we want to live out our freedom. And so, you know, I, I think we see them probably as a, as a necessary evil, or just something that's necessary to restrain uh, uh, people's worse intentions. Anyway, um, when, uh, when David wrote Psalm 119, that's not at all what he was thinking. He said, oh, how I love your law. And so, and that seems really weird to us, but I think there are some circumstances there that can help us figure out, that can help us know why David loved the law so much. And so let me talk about two things when it, when it comes to David's love of the law. Okay, the first thing that you need to know is that for David, the law was not just a bunch of rules. It wasn't just a list of rules. Now, there are a lot of rules in that, but Uh, When David refers to the law, he's actually referring to Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, what percentage of those five books of the Bible contain actual, like, what we would consider to be laws, general principles? Anybody, any guesses what what percentage of of that? 11%, okay, anyone else? All right. I, you guys are kind of waiting for me to answer. I don't know the answer to it. <laughs> but actually, a, a very small percentage, a very small percentage of them are, are actually laws. Most of it is stories. Most of it is narrative. There's some genealogy there. There's some poetry. And yet David refers to all of it as the law. In fact, all of Jewish tradition referred to it as the law. And uh, I know that when we read stories and when we read law in those books, we see them as very separate things, okay? But in the Jewish mind, they're actually part of the same thing because there are principles that Scripture gives and then there are case studies for those laws. You see, there's a big difference between how we view laws and how the Hebrew people viewed laws. See, for us, laws only have to do with behavior. Okay, they, they check what we're doing. They, they recognize that people are careless and selfish, and so they create limits on our behavior to minimize the damage that we can do in society. 
They can change our behavior, but for us, and you've probably heard this truism before, but laws don't change the heart. All right, you've probably heard that before. All right, now here's the difference between how David thought about the law and how we do. For David, changing the heart was the whole point. See, he was saying, I love your law because when I immerse myself in it, I see what kind of person God wants me to be. So he saw the law as something not just that limited his behavior, but something that formed him into a certain kind of person. Now, in fact, there's a, a growing bit of evidence that, the, and I know this is going to sound controversial, but I promise it's actually not that controversial. There's a growing bit of evidence that the specific laws in the Old Testament were not actually intended to be followed to the letter. You see, as many laws as there are in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, you can't possibly anticipate every situation, every possible scenario that's going to happen in life. And not only that, but they couldn't enforce them anyway. There was no court system. There was no police department or anything like that. Instead, the laws for the Jewish people were case studies that revealed principles that guided wise and just living. Okay? So in many ways, it was much more expansive. In fact, when you see how Jesus treats the law in Matthew chapter 5, for instance, he said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. What he was doing was he was recognizing the misuse of the individual laws by the Pharisees and saying, no, 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 we're expanding this out. Because they're not just there to follow to the letter, but they are there to guide us as we seek to change and become different kinds of people and uh, a different kind of community. All right, so let me, let me show you in uh, today's language the difference between those two things. All right, let's go back to traffic. Now, you might have seen uh, one of these signs right here. Is it 20, 20 miles per hour? Uh, you probably have seen one of those that... That one is right up by the corner of Stinson and 33rd. And uh, if you've never seen one of these and you have a driver's license, I'm going to call and have your license revoked. Okay, you need to notice those signs, all right? Um, now, I have to admit, I don't care for these signs that much. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the 20 mile an hour speed limit because it's a speed limit and I don't like to be limited. I have places to go and 20 miles per hour frankly, is too slow for me, right? Well, they know what you're thinking, right? And so now they started putting out signs that argue with you, right? And, and so we see signs like this one. 20 is plenty, right? So they're, they're arguing with me. I say, 20, that's too slow. And they say, no, 20 is plenty. And I say, no, you didn't hear me. I said, 20 is too slow. And they keep saying to me, 20 is plenty, all right? Now, this is what the law does uh, when you think about it just as rules, Okay? But here's a sign that I find to be, at least for me, much more effective. This is one I saw on Stinson. Drive like your kids live here. All right? Now, what happens with this sign is, is it gets me out of like theoretical mode. It gets me out of argumentation mode. And it makes me start to reflect on what kind of a person I want to be or what kind of community I want to have. Okay? Now, I recognize that this sign is not legally binding. There's probably not going to be a time when a police officer pulls you over and he says, do you know why I pulled you over? It's because you were not driving like your kids live here. 
right? Because, you know, and, and we can always find ways to argue. Like I could say, well, my kids are grown up and I don't care that much about them anymore. Or uh, they don't live here or something like that. Yeah. So we could argue with that. But ultimately, what a sign like this does is it, is it tells, it starts to change our heart. It starts to say, oh, you know what? So that's why we have those speed limits. Because there might be kids that are driving around here, and if those were my kids, then I would want people to drive slowly and pay attention and all that. It doesn't cover everything, right? Because you can drive 20 miles an hour and still not be paying attention, okay? And so that's why those signs don't necessarily cover everything, but drive like your kid lives here, like your child li- kids live here. Now, that covers just about every single scenario, and that's the way David would have thought about the law, okay? Because it requires some reflection. I start to think about what kind of community I want to be. Now, here's the key. This is how we should be reading scripture. Now, I think there's some value and if you see a law or if you see a principle or something like that, following that principle. But even more than that, you have to understand that what God is trying to do through scripture is to shape how we think about ourselves, shape how we think about our community and ask, what kind of a person do I want to be? What kind of a community do we want to live in? And then live accordingly. That's the kind of community that we should be forming. And so that's why David loves the law so much. Because he sees what kind of community it forms. Now, here's something that I find kind of amusing uh, in this psalm. Is that if you start in verse 98, David actually starts to gloat a little bit about the law. Okay, So here's what he says. He says, your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. In uh, 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Now, uh, this is, I don't know if this is kind of a carnal reason for David, why he loves the law so much, but it's, a, it's certainly a, a competitive reason for why he loves it so much, okay? The first, you know, in verse 98, why does he love the law? Because it gives him an advantage over his enemies, Right? I have the law, they don't have it, and so, hey, I've got a leg up on them. Okay? And then you look at the next two lines, and he does kind of the same thing, only with people in his own community. Okay? He's gloating about that. He's, he's wiser than his teachers, and he's wiser than even the elders of Israel. And why does he have more understanding? Because he spends more time in the Word. Now, I assume that, that they spent time in the Word too, certainly the elders, but David is like, man, I, spend, I, I meditate on it day and night, and so I have more understanding than these people. Now, I don't know whether it's actually gloating or not, uh, you know, certainly poem, po- poem form and all of that, but there really are two principles that we see here. And the first one is this, is that just because you get older doesn't mean you get wiser. It doesn't happen automatically. The second one is this, is being elevated to a place of authority doesn't magically make you smart, right? So how do you get wisdom? Okay, wisdom doesn't come with age, and it doesn't come with status. It only comes through pursuing wisdom. Okay, in fact, that's what we see. That's the first lesson that we learn in Psalm. You can almost see it as a summary of the entire book of Psalms. This is what he says, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. See, what he's doing is is he's talking about your influencers there. What is influencing your life? Where do you gain your wisdom from? Okay, now, 
there are lots of ways that they could do it, but we have our uh, options for gaining wisdom today have expanded immensely. You know, we've got TV, cable TV, we've got the internet, we've got social media, we've got, you know, Netflix and movies. People get their wisdom from all of this stuff, right? And, and David says, though, don't do that. That's not where you should be getting your source of wisdom. But he says this, the one is blessed who's... Delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, so this is our source of wisdom. We go to the word, and that's where we get wisdom. It doesn't come with age, doesn't come with status or position, or just because someone thinks you're smart. It only comes by immersing yourself in God's wisdom. All right? And then we ended this little, this short uh, passage here in verse 105, which is one of the best known verses in the Bible. In fact, we, there's, a, there's a song directly about it, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You guys know that song, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yeah. Now what he's doing is, is he's, he's, this is a metaphor that, uh, that David is writing, talking about, the, that saying that the great value of knowing the word of God is not just the information that we have in our heads. Okay? He reads it not just to be able to answer, to, to win Bible trivia contests, in other words. Okay? But what he's doing is, is he's saying that scripture allows us to be able to see. Allows us to be able to see clearly, to see God, to see ourselves, to be able to see the world clearly. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. A few years ago, there was a guy named Michael Polanyi. He was a scientist and became a philosopher. He actually was a pretty high-level scientist, worked with Einstein, and, uh, and he started to question... Uh, the sort of the standard way that we know things. Um, he would hear scientists uh, explain, you know, the, the scientific method and, and how we learn and all of that. And, and what they would typically say is he would say, well, we collect facts and we collect data and then we study the facts and data and then we organize it a certain way and that's how we know objective truth. That's what they call it, objective truth. Truth that's outside of ourselves, Okay. But Polanyi was thinking about it, and he was like, man, I've been a scientist all my life, and that's not really the way it works. Instead, he said, this is how learning happens. And he didn't use this example, but I'll use this example because I think it's one, a good one for everyday life. When you're learning to read, for instance, okay, you study with an authority who knows reading better than you. Right? And that's, that's the first part, is knowing always has to do with an authority, uh, and so we study with authority who knows reading better than you. And now that, that authority will show you some facts and data. In this case, we'll show you letters, we'll show you the alphabet. You know, so you'll have to memorize some of those things. Okay, but what they're doing is they're not really teaching you the facts. They're actually teaching you how to see correctly. Because if you didn't have the authority there, when you saw the letter A or whatever, it would just look like scratches on a piece of paper. But then when they are able to point to it and say, well, that's an A, that's a B, that's a C, then you're starting to learn it because you're learning how to be able to see letters. In fact, I don't know, you probably never 
had the opportunity to try to explain writing to someone who comes from an oral culture. But if you think about it, that's a, it's a weird thing for people to, to get in their mind if they've never seen writing before. Okay? But that's how it happens. And authority teaches you how to see those squiggles on the page. Now, what Polanyi says is that knowledge of being able to see that and identify letters, that's what we call focal knowledge. It's knowledge that we are focusing on. Okay? You're consciously thinking about the letters. Okay? But actually knowing the letters or knowing the alphabet in itself is not particularly helpful. Right? I mean, what, what good is that knowledge if you actually don't go further than that? So what happens is, is then you start to, once you recognize all of those letters, you start to practice reading. Okay? And practice is a, is a big part of it. Okay? And at first, it's because you have focal knowledge that you have to like, sound out the words. <clears throat> so you look at the individual letters in the words, and you know what sound they make, or if you put two letters together, or if it's English, and you've got like O-U and A-U, then there's like a hundred different ways that you could pronounce that. You know? So you have to learn all of that stuff too. Okay? But what you do is, is you start to put those words together, and pretty soon what happens with enough practice, you no longer have to sound out words words anymore because you, your mind just recognizes them. They just become intuitive to you and pretty soon you know the words and you know the meanings and uh, you know because if you had to focus on every word in order to read things it would be uh, unwieldy. It would be impossible to actually know anything. Right? But what happens is, is that that knowledge becomes internalized, it becomes automatic, and it becomes what he calls tacit or calls personal knowledge. Okay? Knowledge basically becomes intuition. We, we might call it second nature. Right? It becomes so easy that we don't even think about it anymore. In fact, when we, sometimes when we switch to focal knowledge, like if you've ever tried to like, spell a word and you're like, thinking about the word and you're going, man, is that, is that right? Is that really how you spell it? You know, that's focal knowledge, and sometimes that focal knowledge actually messes us up. Uh, so we have to internalize knowledge, and then it becomes uh, a part of us. So you don't have to, pretty soon, focus on the words and the letters on the page, but you can actually look through the words to the meaning of the sentence that you're reading. Okay, let me give you another example. This is kind of a more tactile one. Uh, riding a bike. Um, someone can tell you how to ride a bike, Okay, and they can write it down on a piece of paper, and if you learned all of your letters and your alphabet and your words, and that you can read that, and they'll probably write something like, well, the first thing you do is you put your butt on the seat, and then you put your hands on the handlebars, and put your feet on the pedals, and then you start pedaling, and if you want to go left, you lean left, and if you want to go right, you lean right, and, and all of that. That's, that's focal knowledge. Okay? You can go and you can explain it to someone else because I have that focal knowledge. But <clears throat> at that point... Do you really know how to ride a bike? No, you, you don't. Okay? Uh, you don't really know how to ride a bike. How do you get personal knowledge of riding a bike? You get on and you start riding it. And after more and more time, then pretty soon it becomes second nature. And what do they, what do they say? You never, uh, once you know how to ride a bike, you never forget. Unless it has backwards handlebars on. You guys have seen that. Maybe you haven't seen that video. I've shown it here. So anyway... You, you know, in other words, by practicing, right? You can have facts and information and all of that by memorizing, but you know personally by practicing. Now, I want, you to, I want to take you to a passage from the book of James here and, and think about that as, uh, as I read this. This is what he says in James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word 
and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, practice it. Because anyone who listens to the word but does not know what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, but practicing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Okay? And it's not only because God will reward you if you do it, but actually by practicing it, it becomes a part of you. Okay? And so, uh, years ago, there was a book that came out called In His Steps. This, this was, I think it maybe predated me, but I know it was really popular when I was in youth group. And it started this movement called the What Would Jesus Do movement, right? You, maybe, any of you ever have the WWJD bracelet? I know I did, yeah. All right. So, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, But in many ways, it's beside the point. Because what we want to do when we read the word is, is we don't want to have to stop every time we get into a situation and have to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? What we want is that we want the word to be so deep in us. We want it to be so personal for us that we don't have to ask that question because we already know. Okay, because it's personal knowledge. We already know what the word says. Okay, now... That's a really long explanation, a long way of saying that studying the Bible, you know, we're going to get into the book of 1 Peter, but doing that is not just so we can get information in our heads. Now, I hope that you memorize some of it. I hope that you learn the book of 1 Peter really well, but the point is not to give you focal knowledge of 1 Peter. The point is that you have personal knowledge. And that's why I'm going to not only give you a method to study the Bible, which will help you understand it in your head, but we're going to go through meditation and we're going to practice it because it's in those things that the word becomes personal for us and allows us to be able to see clearly. All right, now, I can see in your faces here that some of you are wondering, all right, I thought we were starting 1 Peter today. Why are we talking about Psalm 119? Okay, I know some of you are really distraught and are about to walk out too. So, all right, so I'm getting to that, all right? Uh, <clears throat> today is indeed the day that we start on First Peter. Um, but I first, so I want to talk about how it's going to work. But before I did that, I wanted to give you a sense of what is the purpose of doing this. Because we're not only going to do this for this next seven weeks, but we're actually going to do it for the whole uh, for the whole rest of the year. We're going to just do, I'm going to do expository preaching. You guys are going to study small groups. You're going to talk about the word together. We are going to immerse ourselves in the word, New Testament, Old Testament, the whole thing. We're going to do that. Okay, but the point that we're, the reason that we're doing that <clears throat> is not just that we'll become good at Bible trivia. The point is, is that we want the word to become a part of us. We want it to become personal knowledge. All right, now, for those of you who haven't been with us during a focus season before, uh, a focus season is basically kind of like what it sounds, where we all focus together on the same thing, that we are all going to be studying the same thing. We're going to do small groups, and they're going to be studying it. Um, uh, the sermon, uh, personal study, there are going to be devotions. In fact, we have, uh, we have books for you, and uh, in, a, in a minute, um, if you didn't pick up a book and you're going to track along with us during the focus season, I'll have Naomi hand out the books for you if you didn't get one already. But basically, we're going to do everything together. And here's what I want to, to challenge you with. 
okay? And this is for those of you who are watching online as well. You can get a book later, okay? But I want to challenge you uh, on a couple of things, okay? Number one is this, is I want to challenge you to do the individual work, okay? The, the point of this whole thing is not that I teach you what the book of 1 Peter says, okay? The point is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of it, right? I'm, I'm going to preach on First on Peter. Uh, but, but most likely, when I preach on a passage, <clears throat> you know, hopefully, I'm gonna, I'll see some things that you didn't, uh, cause some because of my perspective, some because of education. I have time, more, probably more time to study it and all of that. But mostly what we want to do is, is, if you don't already have it, we want to develop in you the habit of studying the Word regularly. Okay? You saw that David loves the law so much that he meditates on it day and night. And maybe you'll get to the, that point too, but at, how about at least day? How about at least daily you meditate on the word? Yeah, and, and Naomi's coming around with books, so if you want a book, just, you can just uh, raise your hand if you don't already have one, because uh, we're going to actually walk through it a little bit here in, in just a minute. Okay? Uh, but basically what we want to do is we want to develop a lifestyle in our community of people who are immersed in the word, immersed in scripture. Okay, and so uh, we want to do that. We also want to give you tools uh, to be able to study and practice uh, how to well, both study and meditate on Scripture. Okay? Now, these are two different ways of approaching Scripture. And there's some of you who are very bent towards studying. You know, you've got a notebook and you've got commentaries and you've got all of that stuff. And you love to study and dive in and get a deep understanding that way. And that's great. Okay? That's a terrific way to study. I'm bent that way too. Uh, but we also want to, for you to practice meditating on Scripture as well. And this basically means that you take the passage or you take part of the passage and you just reflect. You pray and you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you reveal to me what you want me to know through, uh, through Scripture here today? And so we're going to practice study and we're going to practice meditating on Scripture as well. And I want you to do the individual work. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. The second thing we want you to do is we want you to reflect with other people as well. Okay? And that's why we're doing small groups. When we study uh, with other people, we gain a different perspective. There might be someone else that because they're different, because they come from a different background, because, you know, man and uh, woman or, you know, whatever differences we have, uh, there might be some people who might be able to see something differently than we do. And we can compare our notes and compare our answers and we can talk about it and we can see some things that we wouldn't otherwise see. Okay, and so I would encourage you, if you're not in a small group, I want you to get into a small group. And I know there are some of you who are kind of on the fence, but I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to get the most out of this if you're not doing it also with someone else. Okay, so get into a group. Do that together, and I believe, Holly, after service, you're going to be out there. If you don't have a small group, uh, she'll be there to help you find one. Uh, if you're watching online, email us. Uh, let us know that you want to be in one, and we'll find one that works for you. We are actually doing two of them on Sunday that we call Connect Groups. Um, and uh, so uh, pa Pastor Dwayne is going to lead one of them, and Joel and Lori Dahani are going to lead the other one. Uh, so you can, you can join one of those as well. Okay, so they'll help you see what you wouldn't otherwise be able to see. But here, there's another part of engaging Scripture together that I want to talk about as well. Okay, so let's go back to the personal knowledge again. There are many things in life that we learn that we actually skip the focal knowledge stage. 
Okay? There are lots of things that happen in life where <clears throat> nobody really tells us how to do things. Whether it's, you know, for speaking a language, right? Uh, do you remember, like your first language, probably second language you had someone teach you how to do that. But when you were small, you didn't learn it necessarily by someone teaching. What happened was, was there were other people in your household who were speaking that language and you started to mimic the sounds that they were making. And then they rewarded you, and uh, pretty soon, all of a sudden, you know how to speak. And in fact, if you ask a three-year-old or a four-year-old, how did you learn how to talk? They'll say, I don't know, I just always knew. Okay? They don't realize that it's something that they learned because nobody really taught it to them. Okay? Same thing with riding a bike. I didn't go through the focal stage of riding a bike. I just watched someone else ride a bike, and I got on, and I tried it. Right? And so, so here's what I'm saying with that, is that um, when we get into Scripture, we get into Scripture not just for ourselves. We get into Scripture for our family, for our kids, for our church community. Because here's the thing, is we can give people all the focal knowledge that they want. We can teach them about the Bible. But if we're not living it out at home or in church or at the store, or wherever we are, then their, their personal knowledge is going to learn something very different. You see, we want to get this in our hearts because there are a whole lot of people who are watching us. There are people in our community, there are children, they are, they're watching us. And what they see lived out in us will greatly impact whether or not they remain faithful for the rest of their lives. Okay, so... We're not just shaping isolated individuals here. We're shaping the community that is passing down some kind of faith to the generations uh, uh, below us. Okay? And so the question is, is what kind of faith are we shaping for them? All right, now, here's how this is going to work. Okay? If you have your Bible, I want you to open, or not your Bible, <laughs> sorry. This is not your Bible. All right? this, is, this is your focus book. Uh, open up your book to page 3, and you will find a heading, How to Use This Book. This is a page about, well, how to use that book. Um, and it will, uh, it will take you through the weeks. Now, you'll see day 1, 2, 3, and 4. Here's one of the things that you need to know. Day 1 should be Monday for you. Monday could be Tuesday, like if you want to push it back, because we don't have like seven days worth of stuff there. But it should be Monday at the earliest, because here's how it's going to work. You are going to study a passage first, and then on that Sunday, I will preach on it at the end of the week. Okay, so you do it first, and then I'm going to do it. All right, so next week, I'm going to be preaching on 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 12. That's what you're going to be studying this week. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to do the work yourself. Okay, I want you to figure it out. I don't want you to do it based on something that, that I've said. I want you to dig into the word. And then on Sunday, I'll give my interpretation, and we can compare notes and all of that. You can talk about it in small group, and I might be able to see some things that you didn't see. Uh, maybe... I'll say something and you'll go, where in the world did he get that from? That's crazy. And then you can email me and, you know, we can talk. I love to talk about that kind of stuff. I'd love to dig into the word with you. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I've probably been wrong before about something. And, uh, and so it's okay. If you're digging into it and you say, I don't know how he came to that, or I, I found a different thing here, man, let's talk about it. I would, I would love to, to do that. Okay, so <clears throat> you're going to do reflection on the sermon, kind of the comparison of your notes and that after the Vikings game on Sunday, right? Um, so 
you, then, then during the week you can reflect on it with the group. Okay? So what you're going to do is, is you're going to reflect on the sermon and your previous week's work. And then on Monday you're going to move on to the next section. Are you clear? Is that clear? Because I know we've done this before and we've had some confusion about that. The dates and that are in your book and I I believe the dates are right. Okay, so here's how the days are going to work out. Okay, day one, uh, what we're going to do is is we're going to ask the question, what does it say? What does it say? And this is the the study method. Uh, The principle behind this is to recognize that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Okay, in other words, when Peter sat down to write, uh, actually with his amanuensis, the, the guy who wrote with him, um, he was not thinking about us, right? He was thinking about the churches in Asia, Minor, the, in Asia Minor, the Gentiles who were there and the struggles and things that they were going through, all right? Now, that doesn't mean that God does not speak through Peter to us. He does, but... That means that there's maybe some translation work that, that we need to do. And we already know that because he also didn't write in English. So there's already been some translation done. Okay? But we live in a culture that is very different than the one that Peter wrote to. Uh, thousands of years afterwards, halfway across the world. And so we have some translation to do. And so the first thing we want to do is, is we want to try to get ourselves into the mind of the people who are reading the letter for the first time. And say, what would it have been like? What would it have been like to be a Christian in the Roman Empire right at the beginning of, of Nero's uh, reign of persecution of the church? Okay? What role would the church community play in your faith? And doing this kind of reflection is one of the things that can help take it from the realm of being this abstract theoretical thing to, to personal knowledge because you have some idea about what it would be like. Okay, and so on page 10 in your book, there are actually some questions that can help you uh, go through this step. Now, the point of the questions is not to answer all the questions, but just to give you a guide to help you to be able to study it well. And if you want, you can use some tools, and we've listed some tools in there. I don't have what page it's on uh, right off the top of my head, but uh, if you have a good study Bible, uh, a good study Bible, the NIV study Bible is great. They're, they're kind of expensive, uh, but it's worth the investment because it basically has a commentary built in that'll give you like the the introduction to the book and it'll give you commentary on the various verses and that if you want a bible dictionary you can get those pretty inexpensively on amazon you can order a used one and uh and those are really useful commentaries i've listed three commentaries that i recommend if you want to uh to use those as well they can help with a lot of background information cultural context um, all of that so i'd recommend all of those things as well so that's the first day what does it say the second question then is what does it mean okay and this is where you start to draw principles from it okay now there are not necessarily right answers when you're drawing principles okay there might this is where there might be even be some disagreement well I think this applies or this doesn't apply and what you'll have to do is is you're going to have to take time to think about Peter's situation and our situation and we have to ask the question well what's the same what's different and, uh, and so then, how does this apply? How, would, how might this have applied for Peter's audience? How might this apply for us? And that's where I think doing it in community is really helpful too because we can pool our knowledge together and say, well, this is something that I thought of. And, uh, and, and so then we can start to develop some principles that we might be able to carry over to our day and age from this. Okay, day three is asking the question, what should I do? 
right? And this is the application. This is the practice part. This is where it starts to become a part of you. It goes from being focal knowledge to being personal knowledge. Um, and like I said, the, the point again is not just to get some interesting tidbits, but it's to change the kind of person that we are. It's to form a kind of community. And so as you apply, I want you to be very specific with it. Don't just say, well, what I learned from First Peter, or what I'm going to practice from First Peter is this week I'm going to try to be a better person, right? Not specific enough, right? There might be some, some very thing. maybe there's some conviction that, that you come under. Uh, maybe there's something very particular in, in a section. And I want you to start to practice that. Say, this is what I'm going to put into practice so that it can move from being in my head to being uh, a, part of, a part of me. Uh, day four is for memorization and meditation, right? Once you, once you have all the studying done, you feel like you have a pretty good sense of, of what that passage is all about, I want you to just go over that and spend time in prayer and say, Holy Spirit, and, and actually you should do this every day, right? You should say, Holy Spirit, guide me as I do this, but especially on day four, Okay, take time and you can read over the whole thing or maybe in your course of studying it there was something in that passage that stands out, a word or a line or, or something like that. Uh, and you can just ask yourself the question, Holy Spirit, r- reveal uh, this to me. Help it, help it, to, be, help it to become real uh, to me so that it goes beyond just my, just my head. Um, into my life, okay? Um, the other thing is, is, you know, we set aside memorization for this day, but you might actually, each day, you might want to uh, identify a, a, a verse or something in there that you write down on a card, take it to work with you, and just spend time ruminating on that one verse. Maybe it's something that convicted you, and so you want that to become a part of you, so just keep uh, going over it uh, in your head. And that's why a lot of times doing the work in the morning is, is a good time to do it because then it stays with you throughout the day. It's a great way to start the day. I know some of you aren't morning people and that's never going to happen, but, uh, but actually it, it is really good when you do this stuff in the morning. All right? Uh, and then in the book, Abby has prepared a family devotion for each of the sections. And you can do this on any day you want. Uh, I guess I would recommend as parents that you study the passage first, get a good idea of what it says, and then you can talk about it and answer questions with your kids uh, better. But again, the point is not to be too rigid in any of this, but the point is is to get you, and not just you, but to get your family into the Word, to develop these habits as a family of being shaped by Scripture. And so I would highly encourage you to take advantage of this time. The next seven weeks, start to develop some habits of getting into the Word. Okay, so now for next week, I want you to do two things. Okay, the, the first one is, is I want you to read through the entire book of First Peter, right? It's five chapters long, it's pretty quick reading, uh, but just read through the whole thing to get a, a good overview of, of what it's about. It's not going to take you very long, okay? But then the passage that you have to study for this week is 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. And then next Sunday, I will preach on that passage. All right, so we all set? We know what we're doing next week? All right, we're good to go. Well, I don't know how you felt about Scripture in the past. I don't know whether you feel like you understand it. I don't know whether you think it's boring or hard or what. Okay, but at the end of this script, uh, at the end of this season, what I hope is that you develop an attitude towards Scripture that David had in Psalm one nineteen. Oh, how I love your law! 
on your word. I, I meditate day and night. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.